and let's get started. Well, Wednesday night we uh, finished up chapter 2, and chapter 2 is really at the end of the opening section of the book of Hebrews. And uh, we learned at least two things we've asked you to remember for a long time from that opening section of Hebrews. What's the thing we learned from chapter 1? Jesus is better than the angels. Absolutely. In fact, we learned many, many of Jesus' characteristics that will prove that anyone we compare Him to is better. But specifically, the author talked about that. And then in chapter 2, Mitch told, taught us about the key phrase from there that happens right up front in chapter 2, and that is, don't drift away. And uh, two very key things. And today we're going to open the, uh, the third chapter and who just looked ahead. That's what we want to remember from the church. Jesus is better than Moses. And that actually will unfold, I think, in an interesting way as we, as we talk about it today. So let's think about the lessons we've learned so far. Jesus never quit in the face of opposition. That was really one of the things chapter 2 told us. We don't drift away because Jesus was able to overcome. What's that word it used for Jesus went before us? He was captain of our salvation, but he was also a pioneer. pioneer. He pioneered. He blazed a trail for us. And pioneers blaze trails so that the ones followed them have as tough a time as they have, right? No, to make it easier for those who are following on the trail um, in, in, in looking at that. Here's the right way to go. Here's the obstacles that have been overcome for us already. He knows what we face. He knows we can be weak. And yet, what does he charge us to do in the face of tough times and in the face of even weakness? What do we do? Persevere. We persevere. We keep going. Knowing that he is not only over the house that we're in, as we'll talk about today, but what does Jesus call us? His what? Brothers. His brothers. His brethren. We're in his family. As Mitch pointed out, what other world religion would have its leaders say that the people are something more than followers? There's brethren. He's the older brother in the house. Um, and I like word. that he calls us his sheep and that he is our shepherd. He is. And he doesn't talk about that here, but he talks about that in other places. In chapter, in chapter 3, we're going to begin with a section where the Hebrew writer looks at what leads to quitting. What, call, what happens that would cause God's children to quit. Specifically, he's going to apply it to the Hebrews, right? Because the Hebrews are facing what? Persecution, social pressure. They're thinking about quitting. They're thinking about going back. And so, we're going to talk about in this chapter, really through chapter 4, what leads to quitting and lessons learned from quitters and how we can apply those in our lives so that we don't become quitters on God and quitters on Jesus. And so that's really where we're headed today. Let's stop and have a prayer before we move any farther. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful Lord's Day. Thank you for this book of Hebrews and the encouragement that it gives us when we, when we face temptations, when we face pressures, when we are, are faced with quitting, Father, or we know others who are faced with quitting. Help us to learn these lessons and apply them to our lives so that we can be pleasing children to you, so that we can follow you, Father, and follow our older brother Jesus through everything that we're asked to do, knowing that we can't overcome, 
because we can go to Him for strength. All these things we ask, Your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start off with a comparison here. Let's talk about that comparison. First, the first word of chapter 3 is therefore. What do we do when we see therefore? What's it there for? What does therefore usually mean from your little handout on Bible words? Look back. Something has just been said that causes the writer in this case to say something else because we know this is true, therefore that's happening. So what did the writer just say before we go any farther? End of chapter 2. What did he just say? Comes to our aid when we're tempted. He comes to our aid when we're tempted. Uh, he was tempted. He was tempted. He understands it, and he comes to our aid when he was tempted. Now think about that. Jesus, the one who pioneered the trail, did not just say, "Here's the trail. Here's the markers. Hope you make it." He comes to our aid. Okay. So that therefore is to, is to put the light on Jesus. This is the Jesus now that we're going to talk about. And he says then, therefore, because we know Jesus comes to our aid when we're tempted, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. So, I want you to look at Jesus, is what he's saying here. This person who comes to our aid when we're tempted. This one we've talked about in chapter 2. Now, first of all, he says, holy brethren. Now, what did we say was happening with the Hebrews? They were, they were starting to go back. They were drifting. I mean, we're going to see some tough things said about them here in a few minutes. And yet, he called them holy brothers. What would that imply for you, just as a quick little lesson? When we're weak and we're having problems and we're stumbling along, what do we need to remember? We're still brothers and we are... A, that word holy, what's that, what's that imply to you? Set apart. We, we're still different. The fact that we go through temptations and struggles and we have weaknesses does not make us un unholy. does not make us cut off. We are still connected to God. And so I just think in the, in the midst of this that he, he reminds them of that and says, you're holy brothers. Holy brothers of Jesus. It's, it's something to, to talk about here. Now, when he puts the spotlight on Jesus, what two words does he introduce? Well, he introduces one word and he reemphasizes one concept we sort of talked about. Consider Jesus who is what? An apostle. Now, what is an apostle? There are 12 of them, right? So he's, and then the 13th when one went away. Now, is that what we're talking about? Who was Jesus an apostle of? God. Who's an apostle of God? Okay, so what does apostle mean if Jesus was an apostle of God? Messenger spreader. Yeah, messenger. He came with a message. By the way, have we heard that before in Hebrews? Chapter 1, verse 1. God speaks through His Son. He came with a message. But even more than that, were the apostles of Jesus just messengers? What were they also sent to do? Accomplish a task. Specifically in Matthew 28, what task were they given? Go the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So they were messengers, but they were messengers with a task for them. How about Jesus? Was Jesus a messenger with a task? What yeah. was his task? Your God brought. Ultimately, to redeem us, right? Yeah. To redeem us, we brought back. So, 
Think about what's packed into that word without doing a big word study on that. Just really put the highlight on Jesus here. And then he's the high priest of our confession. Now we just learned about high priest in the last week with Mitch and what Jesus was a high priest. What does a high priest do? Remember? He, he, makes, atonement. he makes atonement. He offered, in the Old Testament, they would be familiar with this, what the high priest did. But now Jesus is a high priest. This is the second or third time we've heard that, and we're going to hear it again. We'll actually have large sections about this coming up in, in, in the beginning here. And so, putting the spotlight on Jesus, he then introduces us to a new character, and that new character is Moses. Jesus and Moses. Okay. So I want to stop right here. You had questions in your preparatory work to think about. Comparing and contrasting Jesus and Moses. So instead of, of me reading it or, or starting into what I prepared, I want to hear what you had to think about that. The author actually gives us some things that I don't, I don't want you to be limited by what the author says. What else is said about this? So, let's first of all, how are Jesus and Moses similar? They're both faithful. And the author says that, right? Messengers. God. They're both messengers of God. Okay. What else? Misunderstood by their people. Misunderstood. And or rejected. Could, could I could I actually yeah, yeah, yeah say, could I actually yeah. use rejected? Yeah, yeah. By the, their people. What else? They both ruled their house. What's that ruled their house mean? Was that just their family? What was that? What's implied with that, Dennis? They ruled in their house. What? 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 By example. Okay, by example, they, but. That, that really almost means they completed their task, right? To whoever they were sent to, they actually ruled in there. They were over their house, but they completed the things that were there. Might be one thing that comes to that. Okay. They John. were obedient. They were obedient. They were appointed sure. for a task. They were appointed. Was a uh, was Moses an apostle? Was he sent by God? Anybody remember? He was chosen. He was chosen. How would that happen? And actually, was studied down the hall. Well, studied down the auditorium. Studied, I know Judy student in the hall because I got to be the voice of God uh, for her uh, for, for a little diorama she had uh, that she played back to them. What happened? What was the place where Moses got chosen? Burning bush. Burning bush. And he got given a mission there. Okay. So what else? Other other ways you thought of that are similar? Yeah. What about? Where go from? They Jeanette? both delivered covenants. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. You're welcome to go a little broader than, 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 than was what was here. Those, these were all great. They were both meek. Okay. Characteristics of meekness. They both performed miracles. The miracles and signs. Some they, people believe them and some people do. Controversial, you're saying? They both uh, freed people. 
They did what, Tom? They both freed people. Like Moses freed people from Egypt, Christ freed, freed us from our sins. Excellent. When Moses came down from the mountain, what did he look like? Shining. Did that ever happen, ever happen to Jesus? Mount Transfiguration. So they both actually shined with God's glory. Both lawgivers. Lawgivers. All right, you get the, you get the, you get the, the picture here. I mean, both form what the author points out and what we can think about. Very, very, very similar. Now let's talk about. Well, maybe before we talk about that. Deuteronomy 18.17. You should be familiar with this, right? We just read someone quote this, this very scripture in our scripture reading this week in Acts. Acts 7 was this week, right? Not last week? It was this past week? Yeah, week. Okay. Stephen quoted this passage. The Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will, this is Moses talking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you amongst from among their brethren, who will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. We could actually go on a long time and talk about how they should have recognized Jesus because he was a prophet like Moses. He had so many characteristics. Even those things about being a lawgiver that they didn't understand at the time when Jesus was there, that we understand now, but the things they could have seen, they could have seen that Jesus, wow, this is a prophet like Moses. That was one of the signs that Moses said you should be looking for in what obviously was this Messiah. And so Jesus fit that pattern of being like Moses. But they're different people. And you know what you know what the theme of this chapter is, the starting theme here, Jesus is better than Moses. So what are the contrasts? First one what contrast does the author do here? Moses was a servant. And uh, Jesus was the uh, son. So we'll try to get Jesus on that side. Son versus servant. Excellent. And he, make, and he makes that point. He's already said Jesus is the creator. He said Jesus is over the house. Hebrew writer says Jesus created the house. He's the son over the house. What was Moses? He's a faithful servant, but is a servant bigger than the son? No, the son who's over the house is one of the better. Excellent. What are the contrasts? Um, Moses was human. Okay. Or mortal. And Jesus certainly became man, but he still re retained his Godhead. So excellent. Good point. What are the contrasts? Um, Moses was called to for, for material blessings, such as taking them to the land of Canaan. And Christ... Uh, Ours, our promise is uh, spiritual. He was called. Spiritual freedom, maybe, versus physical freedom? Material. Material things or whatever. Excellent. He freed them from actual human slavery. Jesus frees us from spiritual slavery. Other contrast. You know? uh, Moses was given the law to give to the people, and Jesus is the law. I could say maybe lawmaker. Mm -hmm. 
They actually did come, come to give, give the law, make the law. What else? Moses, Moses, Moses was in the house. Jesus was over the house. Okay. That's part of that son versus servant, but that's specifically said here that Jesus was over, ruled over the house versus in the house. <coughs> to whom was Moses sent? To whom was Jesus sent? Okay. So the whole world versus the Israelites. Even though Jesus started with the Israelites, it was clear from his ministry and what happened afterwards he wasn't just sent to the Israelites. Moses, thou start and send. Excellent. Jesus was sinless. Moses sinned. And while he was forgiven those sins, did he actually pay a consequence for some of his sins? Mm -hmm. He didn't. He didn't get to go in the land himself because of one of the sins of not honoring God properly. Uh, when he uh, when he spoke to the when he, when he failed to do the right thing with us, was speaking to the rock there. You know, Greg, one thing it's it's not in here, but uh, Moses was from the tribe of Levi. Uh, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, so that, that has high priest implications. And we also know that uh, I'm just going to put Judah and high priest here. Okay. <clears throat> See, y'all did good without much prompting from me. These are what I put put together. See if I had anything different. I had a little longer. Maybe I thought about this than you, but maybe uh, I think I think you guys nailed everything I put on the slide, and you actually amplified it. So uh, I'll update my notes if I teach this again. I'll steal some of your ideas from your from your too. So the first six. Verses do have a point, and that point is the theme of our of our of our question of our chapter, right? After showing all these similarities, which should have pointed them to the fact this was the Messiah, but pointing out the specific contrast he did, and as we expounded on that, the conclusion by the contrast is what? That Moses was just an inferior person? Is that the conclusion that we need to get to? What's the, what's the conclusion we get to get to? Jesus is superior. You don't, have to, you don't have to tear down Moses to make Jesus superior. In fact, Moses was held up as one of the prime examples of service to God. I mean, who besides Moses and David are in the Old Testament? Maybe Elijah are held up as such supreme examples. The author doesn't tear down Moses. He simply points out that Moses did what God asked him to do. He was faithful, and yet Jesus is superior to this. And so... Is that the argument that chapter 3 makes for them not going back? Well, he starts with that. They should conclude that following Jesus, who was like Moses in so many ways, but superior to Moses, is someone they should stick with. And that really is ends that first section here of the chapter, but he then goes on in this chapter. Maybe let's stop there before we talk about going on. Any thoughts or questions that you have from that or observations that we didn't bring to the floor? Just one, Mitch, quick, yeah. one quick one, if you don't mind. The, Absolutely. The, uh, under Moses, people rebelled, and, and God did not take that lightly. In fact, all of them died uh, over the 
20 to men um, that he's sure not going to take lightly uh, falling away from, from his son. You're a, you're a great straight man. You're a great straight man. Is that what you want me to say? Absolutely. That's like what we're team teaching. It's like on each other's back, I mean, each straight man to get us to, to the next side. So the conclusion here is that, that's going to lead us to exactly that point Mitch is taking here is verse 2 says, Moses was faithful and Jesus was faithful to him that appointed him. The real lesson of the first six verses that comes out of this is that both Moses and Jesus were faithful to God's charge. Jesus is better than Moses, but both of them were faithful. And he explicitly says that. And therefore, verse 6, knowing that Jesus is superior, Christ as a son was faithful. That, that's what he's talking about here. Over his own house. And who's in the house? Jesus was, was superior to Moses and He's faithful to His house. We we're in the house. Whose house we are because we were baptized. Right? Is that what He says? We're in Jesus' house because we are baptized. We believed here. What's the author say? If we hold fast to the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. What's another word for holding fast in hope firm to the end? I gave you only one word. What? Persevering. Persevering is a good one. Faithful. Faithful is the word we've been using here, right? Jesus was faithful. Moses was faithful. You're in, you're in Jesus' house if you are faithful. And what does faithful mean? Believing in Jesus? Hardly. What does the author say? Holding fast in hope firm to the end. Just like Jesus did. Just like Moses did. Think about what Moses had to go through with those people. And in the end, God took him off and buried him somewhere in the desert. Um, a faithful servant of his. Not without his problems, but he did Think about Jesus, who was a fully faithful servant of his. And, and what happened, what he had to persevere. And, and so the author says, by the way, you're in the same boat. If you're not willing to persevere to the end, you're not faithful. You've got to be faithful. And he's going to give us an example. Yes. You know, I can see myself in these Hebrews. They had thought Moses was just the best there was that had ever come. Now they're going to have to change. I don't like change. And I think a lot of people don't like change. And I can sort of see myself here, listening, but I don't know. You know, they needed a lot of a lot of proof, a lot of convincing. I think the same holds true for us. Well, um, a straight, uh, another straight lady from our next section here. We will talk about here because we're going to learn from those people. Because the Hebrew writer says, now let's examine some people who weren't faithful. And see what we can learn from them. And so that's the next section we're going to jump into. Um, Farrell Jenkins had a nice picture of this wilderness that those people wandered in, so I thought it would be useful just to throw I haven't been to that wilderness myself, or I'd throw mine up. But um, we 
kind of drive places, find places like this around here, right? Maybe, maybe between where I live on the east side in Florence, there's some places that look just like that, wandering around in the desert. It's like, I wouldn't want to be out there for 40 years. But let's just think about that. So um, in case you like to remember these things, here's a nice little easy thing. Hebrews, the third chapter, that talks about the unfaithfulness of... Uh, of uh, the children of Israel actually quotes from the Psalms, the 95th chapter. And as it turns out, it's the same verses, 7th and 11, they're both of them. So Hebrews 3, Psalms 95, parallel, Hebrew writer quotes this ex explicitly from what the psalmist said in recounting what the people of Israel had done in this case when they were just about to go into the promised land. Um, just as a quick aside, Stephen uses a different example when he's speaking to the Jews. What example of unfaithfulness does he use when he's uh, talking to those who are about to stone him? When the Israelites did what? Remember that? Acts 7? What did the Israelites do that rebelled against God? This wasn't the only time. This was the final time that they did it. We're going to talk about I had to Sinai. Remember that? I mean the golden cat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Stephen talks about exactly what they did at Sinai, and then he basically then generalized and said, your fathers always resisted the prophets and all the other things here. It's not like going back to the Jewish people for good examples was, was a that great place to go. There are more bad examples here than good examples. And these people were trying to go back to that. So we're not going to read Psalm 7. You got it to 95 verse 7 through 11 or Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. We had a chance to, 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 to see that already, but I think it's interesting that chapter 3, verse 7, in speaking about the wilderness, um, the Hebrew writer says, the Holy Spirit said, and then he quotes Psalm 95. Now, who wrote Psalm 95? Does anybody know? Take a really good guess. This was an easy guess. David. <laughs> and if you didn't know that, from there, Hebrews 4 chapter actually says, and as David said, and quotes another verse from this psalm. And so isn't it interesting that the writer, within the span of about three minutes reading, takes the same passage and one time says the Holy Spirit said it, and the other side says David wrote it. What does that mean? Speaks to inspiration of the Scripture. This didn't just come from humans. This is inspiration of the Scripture. Okay, that's just a quick aside here. The Holy Spirit is contrasting what it's like to both to hear God's words and obey them versus to hear God's words and disobey them. So he's going to draw this extended contrast that we're going to talk about from this chapter all the way into chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to talk about what they did at the desert that caused them to go on for 40 years wandering uh, as a lesson to us. And we're going to learn lessons all along the way. Remember, there's a looming peril of the Hebrews trying to go back and not go ahead and complete going into the promised land just like these Israelites have done. And so the writer's going to warn them, don't suffer the same fate as your ancestors did. So these are the things that the writer pulls, that, that, that get pulled out and get talked about in that psalm. They hardened their hearts. It said, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, is what the psalmist says. They tested God. What does it mean to test God? Said, well, 
that's that's one way to do it. Who else quote, who else who else said you shall not test the Lord your God? Jesus. Satan didn't say it. Jesus, Jesus said it. But Satan was when Satan was tempting, was trying to tempt him. He said, "Don't tempt the Lord your God." How were they tempting God? They just they were just afraid of those Canaanites. I mean, they were big old giant people with fortified cities. I mean, I'd be afraid. You'd be afraid. How was that a test to God? What was that a temptation to God, John? It showed their lack of faith. Their lack of faith. What had they seen up to this point? They've been in the desert two years now. What have they seen up to this point? The ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, yeah. the uh, pillar of fire in the rock. Well, they see at Sinai, the mountain. Of, in fact, at Sinai, even though they had a little rebellion that God ultimately forgave them of, what happened to the mountain of Sinai? I mean, it shook, you know, and they they, they were like, we, "What did they say to Moses about God's voice when they when, We're too afraid to go by yourself. But we don't hear God anymore. He scares us. You go talk to him, and you come back and tell us what he said, and they do that. They'd seen all that. They they'd gone through the wilderness. They had they were being taken care of by God, and then they said, "Oh, but he's not good, good enough to take, get me into Canaan." What? What does the psalmist and the Hebrew writer, by quoting him, say God interpreted that as? It was rebellion. Now, do we think of, well, when I just don't do something that God told me to do because I think it's going to be hard, do I think of that just being weak sometimes? Well, it is being weak, but what word does it get gets placed on it here? Rebellion. It's rebellion to not believe God can actually accomplish the things He says He can accomplish. That's scary to me. The number of times I rebelled, when I just said, oh, I'm just being a little weak. Now, the bar is getting raised here by the, by, the, by the Hebrew writer to the place where God's already put it in His Word as to don't test God. Because what happened... This time when they tested God. They had done it before. What happened this time? Ultimately it happened, but what what how what was God's reaction? Anger. He just got angry at them. And then he did something that we never want to have God do. What happened when he got angry? He swore. You say curse word, he swore. And what was the sweat the oath that he took? They will not, these people will not enter my rest. And 38 more years they get sent out to the desert because, because of that. And if the psalmist talks about this as going astray in the heart. We've studied from Hebrews another concept. What, 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 that, what might that be? Going astray is like drifting. drifting. They drifted in their heart from forgetting but by forgetting what God had done and believing what God could do when He asked them to do something, it's a it's a it's a it's an amazing thing. God's wrath. We won't we won't go to this passage, but the Hebrew excuse me, Romans the second chapter. There's an extended discussion by Paul about God's wrath, and there's a there's a, a phrase there in Hebrews in Romans two verses four and five that. He says to the Romans, you are storing up the wrath of God. That's like 
water behind a dam, right? You're storing up God's wrath. And if this dam breaks, it's not going to be pretty. Well, here's your example of that. God had had enough of this generation of people. And when that dam broke, when, it, when they pushed him over the edge, he was like, not these people, we're going to raise up another generation. Scott? Yeah, if you back up in, in Romans, um, it talks about him, God letting them, he, he lets them, let us go astray, basically, let us, let us go to all our desires and things. And then on top of that, the filling up, also, when we read the Old Testament, it's interesting about all the generations that uh, basically filled up enough wrath to where he did. And Abraham wasn't able to actually go there and, and make his people because it wasn't time yet, because the Canaanites still had time left. This whole sense of God is patient. <laughs> yeah. God will wait with us. He'll, he'll help us through our weaknesses. He'll put up with us. He allows us space to grow. But at some point, when we prove to Him that we are going to rebel over and over and over again. In fact, let's just change the slide because that's exactly where the Hebrew writer goes. Knowing this is what happened, this is what your ancestors did, this is how God reacted to this, and here's what God did. Verse 12. Take heed, brethren. Okay, so what, what's that simple what's that simple word mean? Listen. Learn. Pay attention to what take heed, lest any of you fall into an evil heart of unbelief. Here are the lessons that, that we're going to talk about here for the rest of today's class. And there's actually more that go into chapter 4 that we'll continue to talk about. But let's just talk about the first one. This rebellion is called an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief. Have you ever thought about the fact that we, we don't fully believe God and trust Him? That that, that word evil should be, should be attached to that? That's a, this is a really, really tough application, I think, for us to think about here. Of when it's apparent what the next step was. But for, let's just talk about these people here. They were at the banks of the Jordan... They had just sent in the 12 spies. And they came back and 10 of them said, too hard. Two of them said, well, we can do it. And they believed the 10. The Hebrew writer says, that's an evil heart of unbelief. When God said you can and should do this, and you decide, no, I can't. That's an evil heart of unbelief. Woo. Known our own, we can't. That's the rise to the heart of unbelief because we only believe what we have at our disposal is what we bring to the table. It's forgetting like they forgot. What did God bring to the table? I mean, really? They walked through the middle of the Red Sea. They, what, they listened to all the Egyptian parents wailing over their firstborn children dying and whatnot. They, they saw all of that and they went, oh, it's too hard. What was that really saying? I don't want to do that. 
I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Wow. Evil heart of unbelief. That's what failing to trust God is. And remember, this section follows the key point that, Jesus, that, that the writer made about Jesus and Moses, and that key point was how they were similar and that they were faithful. You find no unbelief in Jesus and Moses. They were faithful. They did hard things that God asked them to do because they believed God. And that's, that's the challenge for, for us today. The next, the next thing he says is they departed from the living God. Chapter 2, we talked about drifting or wandering away, right? This didn't just happen one morning that they just decided, no, we're not going to do this. It says they, that they, having an evil heart of unbelief, departed from the living God. So why is it dangerous for us to wander away from the things that God has put around us to help keep us in place? If we wander away too far, what's the next step that's going to happen? We may not want to come back. We may not want to come back because we're more and more likely to be filled with an evil heart of unbelief. We're just not doing what God's asked us to do. And the farther away we drift, the easier it is to just stop believing that God can actually do what He said He was going to do. He said He was sending the light that they may have if they don't believe. He actually did in 2 Thessalonians. So that, that can happen. Yeah. That can happen if God's wrath gets, if, if that wrath gets there. And then He says, exhort one another while it is called today. Now hold it. He's warning against me having a heart of unbelief, and then he says, because this can happen, we know it can happen, it happened to the Israelites, it's happening to you, Hebrews. Therefore, how do we help keep that from happening? We just we're on our own, making sure we keep close to Christ? Is that what is that what he's saying? No? Who else is in this equation here that gets called up on what the Hebrew writer says? Other Christians are. Which means what about us? When we, what do we have to be observant of? When one of our brothers or sisters is wandering away. Exhort one another while it is called today. So is this just an action item for my list to get to this month to do some exhortation? How important is this for those of us who are not drifting away today to do this? Well, the Hebrew writer says, get on it right now. I mean, you can't put anything at the top of your priority list any higher than what the Hebrew writer put this for those of us who are Christians who see this happening in others, to exhort others. Does it say to upbraid them? Does it say to condemn them? Does it say, what? Brother, sister, don't come back. You know, there's too much to help you here. If you come back, come back. I'll help you. What's it going to take to do that? That do it in love. Absolutely, absolutely in love. This this exhort word actually says that. But there's a reason for this. What happened when the opinion was ten to two about entering the promised land? Where did where did that opinion go? From ten to two. Joshua and Caleb were the two, the ten, other ten spies, their name, but we never remember their names, right? Because they didn't believe God. What did ten to two turn into? 
two million to do. Well, maybe three of Moses. Um, was it? It's hurt everybody. A crowd can lead you away. Okay, so in God's infinite wisdom, did He give us a good crowd to help us not fall away? Yeah, He gave us a job. This is what the church is. One of the things the church is for. This exhortation thing, it's, this isn't just a, we come together and we, and we like being with each other. Some people miss it. Occasional ladies' class and occasional men's class or youth class. Those are all great. But, boy, that's a, that's a daily thing. Joan? So this is why we, we emphasize to our children that, you know, everyone needs to understand the importance of having a membership at a church. Because if you're not a member somewhere and you don't attend and you don't get to know the people, then you don't know anybody who needs help. And you yourself need help. But nobody can help you if you're not there. If you're not a member. You're not there if you don't want to be helped. It talk about when people are hindered. It doesn't talk about when people have sickness and other things. But it does talk about those of us who aren't hindered and don't have sicknesses keeping us away. How are we acting toward those who do? We're making sure we keep them bolstered up because just just not being together is, 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 is tough enough. We'll talk about that in chapter 10. But we got to take this seriously. And by the way, he didn't write this book to elders. We, we know our elders. This is one of their primary roles to make sure this happens. But he said, exhort one another. If you look around, if I look around, if you see something that nobody else sees, exhort me, right? That's what, that's what this is saying. I saw the other hand. Marty? Last week, we had an over-40s ladies group get-together of women who don't have husbands that are, some widows and some who don't have husbands that are members. And from these ladies, I found out that they, some of their cases, that it's really hard, and I am just really amazed and encouraged at how faithful they are in their attendance here. And it got me to thinking, i got to get busy and help these ladies somehow or other. If it's just send a card or take them to lunch or anything like that, you know, I need to do that. Absolutely. I mean, that exhortation has implicit into it encouragement, right? And even encouragement yes. for those who may not be wandering away, but are just in difficult situations, but that could happen. And, that, and that's... That's all there. And, and one of the reasons it's so important, he says next, it's because what is deceitful? Nobody wanders away because they go, eh, I don't believe God, I'm going. They don't wake up one morning and doing that. Sin deceives us into going away. I mean, what happened between Sinai and Banks of the Jordan that caused these people to turn away? A bunch of things happened. Those spies were in there a long time. They heard some reports of some spies that just it, it frightened them, it scared them. Guess what? They got deceived. Did the ten spies try to deceive them? Well, not explicitly. They didn't lie to them, but they brought a message that Satan certainly used to deceive those people into thinking they couldn't do what God's will was, and therefore they needed to pull back, and they needed to go back, whatever, whatever that meant for them. I don't know where they thought they were going. Yeah. It's interesting to me, like, anytime someone either, like, legitimately witnessed something, like a miracle of God, or that, like, Jesus is doing something right in front of them that literally could not happen unless they were, he was God, 
and seeing that people who were there witnessing that could still fall away, and then seeing how far removed we are from this time of history ourselves, it's just like that much more important that we don't let that outside stuff get to us because not literally witnessing it makes it even harder for us to put ourselves in a position of this, like all these promises, yes, we see throughout history, but is that still going to happen for us? Yes, and we can't let that outside stuff get to us. Well, well, well said. Um, absolutely. In fact, there's only one advantage that I think we have over those who saw those miracles is we get to see the whole picture all together. And that's what helps us where they only saw part of the picture. But it still doesn't make it any easier because you're right. If that happened to them, what could happen to us if we actually wander away from when we forget those things? Hold fast in your confidence, steadfast to the end. Whatever you're going through, don't leave Jesus. Don't leave Jesus. Because unbelief is what keeps us from God's rest. So we're really going to finish this part on Wednesday night as we heard the first bell here. But let's, let's start talking about this. If the Israelites would have held fast in their confidence in God, think about how the history would have been different. I mean, as, as great a leadership as Joshua provided for them when they finally, 38 years later, their children actually, not them, their children actually did what God said. But even there, they didn't fully complete what God said. And all the things that happened after that. Here they were on the brink of fully completing what God said. Moses had fully led them faithfully in order to be able to do that. And they called them. That doesn't mean that those people who did go take the land were pleasing to God and all those other things that we talked about. But think about that means in our life. When we come to the brink and we have this evil heart of rebellion pull us back, even if later on we go, we still can be forgiven and all those things, but sometimes things happen to us in our life that if we would have just gone ahead the first time and done God's will, we could avoid it. All of those things that happen to us and have a whole different set of consequences over there. So think about that as we as we take on more lessons on Wednesday night. Great participation. Appreciate y'all being in class. And we'll uh, hope to see you as soon as possible Wednesday night. Continue this.